Amen. Well, turn with me to the book of Galatians, please, as we uh, begin looking at this epistle in a little more detail. Beginning this morning, we did an overview last week. As you turn there, just want to echo some of the things that Blake mentioned, encourage you to consider being a part of a, a care group ministry as we have our care group focus uh, this week and uh, last. And uh, if you don't want to sign up on a poster board in the hallway, uh, that, that's not the best way for everybody. Uh, I also encourage you to talk to, to Blake. You can send him an email at, at blake at bethanycommunitychurch.org and just kind of uh, ask him for some, for some more details about maybe a, a good uh, place for you to minister and care for other people in the context of a care group. Also, I want to emphasize something we said last week. Remember, we're moving to one service. It's going to be during this hour, and there's some new ministry needs that exist because of that. And so if you have the gift of aggressive uh, hospitality, uh, if you're relationally aggressive in a God-honoring way, uh, the hospitality team would love to have you come and help uh, care for people who are new. Sometimes it's hard to, uh, hard to find your way around a new church, and so people who have that gift can, can help people feel welcome and know what's going on. We also have, a, as the new school year begins, we have a need for Awana volunteers, Awana leaders, and so be sure to think about being a part of that. Several people last week mentioned their desire to increase their ability to memorize Scripture, their faithfulness in that ministry, and that's a great way. You can memorize the the verses along with uh, the young people who are doing so. So be sure to kind of think about some of those things, and uh, we'll keep keep talking about them. Also, second week of September, we're going to be celebrating our 10-year anniversary. So that's kind of exciting, uh, 10 years of God's faithfulness to us as a church. And so that'll be the second Sunday in September in the evening. So we're in Galatians. Uh, Let's, uh, last week, I didn't make you stand during the whole, uh, during the whole reading of, of the book, but uh, this morning, if you're able to, if you'd stand with me in honor of God as we read his word together. Galatians, we're just going to read the introduction here and open up this, this epistle uh, by God's grace and, and allow it to, to work in our hearts as the Spirit uses it. Paul Writing in verse 1, chapter 1, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. According to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. May God encourage us through the reading of his word this morning. Uh, Let's pray. Father, please open your word to us. Change us. Allow us by your grace to know you more deeply, to be more passionate about uh, the truths of your gospel, and to encourage others. We pray uh, just for your grace in all these things. We pray this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. All Gospels, other than the true Gospel, 
ultimately disappoint us. All Gospels, other than the true Gospel, ultimately disappoint us. That word Gospel means, of course, good news. And usually when we use the word Gospel, we kind of carry with that word the idea of proclamation. So the Gospel, when we talk about Gospel, we're often talking about the the proclamation of some sort of good news. And there are many Gospel proclamations, many proclamations of good news, promising peace, and all proclamations of peace, other than the true proclamation of peace, ultimately disappoint us. Most advertising is built on false gospel proclamations, right? Here is, here's my product, and not only is my product going to do what I tell you it's going to do and do it well, as it does whatever it is supposed to do, it's going to bring, bring peace and joy and satisfaction and all of those things. I can remember one time, whenever Whitney and I were buying our first minivan many, many years ago, we were sitting in a office of a car salesman, and we had told one another, we are not going to buy a warranty. But as we sat in the office this salesman began to proclaim a gospel, a gospel of the car warranty. And it was beautiful. Like this, this peace and the satisfaction that would be brought if I purchased this warranty. And, and just for a few hundred dollars, this, this minivan that I was buying that had 60,000 miles on it or so, it, was, it would have another 100,000 miles of bumper-to-bumper warranty. It was going to be like a brand new car for another 100,000 miles. And I said, hold on, are you... Is it two hundred thousand miles or an additional hundred thousand miles? No, no, it's a, an additional hundred thousand miles. Are you sure? Yes. So we purchased the warranty, and at one hundred one thousand miles, found out that he had been mistaken in the promises that he had made. And even when we had the warranty, it was in effect. It was a it was a nice thing, but it didn't bring peace and joy and permanent satisfaction. Right? It was still a van, still had issues, and said be put gas in it and change the oil, those gospel messages, proclamations of peace, ultimately disappoint us. And there are many false gospel messages. There's the the gospel proclamation of healthy eating or of exercise. If you just eat these things and if you just exercise this amount, then you'll find joy and peace and all sorts of delights beyond your comprehension, and, and it's not bad to eat well, but it's not the gospel. There's a the gospel of productivity. If you, if you do these things and accomplish these tasks, then there will be peace. There's the, the gospel of relationship. If you just pursue these relationships and handle these relationships well, then your life can have peace. Again, all that's good, but it's not the gospel. There are false religious gospels, right? Gospels that distort the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And you can think of the cults, Jehovah's Witness and, and Mormonism and those, those types of things. Or even, even uh, churches that would, would seem to have good doctrine and then yet they preach a, a message of, okay, you need to do this work or you need to follow this ritual in order to have peace and joy. All false gospels ultimately disappoint. All false gospels ultimately fail to deliver the peace that they promise. Which brings us to the book of Galatians, 
where Paul wants us to understand the difference between false gospels and the nature of the true gospel. And here's kind of the, as we introduce Galatians again this morning, here's kind of the main statement that I want you to think through with me. The true gospel, the true gospel is a proclamation from God to his church announcing freedom in Christ. That's the idea that Paul begins with this morning. The true gospel, it's a message, a proclamation from God himself, and it's a proclamation given to his church, and it's, it's an announcement. It's saying, look, here's the freedom that exists in Jesus Christ. The true gospel is not a message from human beings. It's a message from God. The true gospel is not a message just to individuals. It's a message to his church. And it's a, a message not proclaiming works, not proclaiming here are the rituals you need to go through. It's a gospel not promising peace through some sort of man-centered effort or effort that originates with man. It's a message from God to his church proclaiming freedom, peace in Jesus Christ and in him alone. Now, last week we had the, the joy of going through the whole book at one time, and we saw there's kind of three main sections that we're going to be looking at. Chapters 1 and 2 are going to deal with the source of the true gospel, where this gospel comes from. Chapters 3 and 4 are going to deal with the content of the true gospel. What is this, what is this message? What's the, the doctrinal content of this gospel message? And then chapters 5 and 6 are going to deal with the, the freedom of the true gospel. What does it look to look like to live this way? What does it look like for me to live this way just as a, as a follower of Christ? What does it look like for me to live this way in relationship with you? We're going to talk about all those things, but this morning it's another introduction. Here Paul is kind of setting up, setting up some frameworks, even in his introduction, even in his greetings, he's, he's setting up some things that are going to help us understand the nature of this true gospel. And so we're going to look at these these, this kind of introduction to the true gospel by asking three questions. And here's the first question. The first question is, who is the true gospel from? And for those of you who are kind of grammar nuts and it bothers you that the sentence ends with a preposition, I've got some bad news for you about the second point too. Just kind of brace yourself. But um, who is the true gospel from? Well, first of all, there's a, a human source. He says this is Paul writing. Now, who is Paul? Paul, a couple things. We're going to talk more about Paul's biography as we go through chapters 1 and 2. But just a couple things about Paul. Paul was born probably 510 A.D. in Tarsus. He is spends some time early on in Jerusalem. He is a Jew. He's of the tribe of Benjamin. But he's also born a Roman citizen. He's trained as a Pharisee by a very famous rabbi, Gamaliel, and he spends much of his youth passionately following the teachings of the Pharisees. He is so zealous, in fact, that he's present at the first martyr, Stephen's stoning. And Paul, in his zealousness, as he encounters this 
this new sect of Judaism called the Way, which we know as Christianity, as he encounters this new sect of Judaism, the Way, he recognizes that this, this teaching about this person Jesus represents a radically different understanding than his understanding of how a person comes into relationship with God and lives in obedience to, to God and the law. So as a Pharisee, he recognizes that the, the way of the Pharisee, the teaching of the Pharisee, and, and this new thing, the way, he recognizes that these, these two things are not compatible. And so Paul zealously works to eradicate the way. He wants to destroy it. He wants to remove it off the face of the earth. And so he engages in a systematic persecution of those who are adherents to the way, to those who are followers of this rabbi Jesus. And then, as you know, 33, 34 AD, he has this this radical conversion to Christianity on the way to Damascus. He spends some time in Damascus. He leaves for the east. He comes back to Damascus. He goes and spends some time with Peter in Jerusalem. He ministers in Syria and Cilicia. And then he spends some time in Antioch. And then from Antioch, he's appointed to go on the first missionary journey. We'll look at that in a little bit. But he goes on this first missionary journey, and that's when he arrives in the area of Galatia. He proclaims the gospel, they respond to the gospel, and he establishes these churches. And then sometime after that first missionary journey, this is as I kind of put the pieces together from Acts and Galatians especially, I believe that it's, it's after this time, after his first missionary journey in Antioch, where he writes this letter to the Galatians. So it's perhaps his first epistle. So that's, that's Paul, the, the human author. That's who he is and how he's gotten into relationship with the people here in Galatia. But look at what it says next. It says, Paul, an apostle. That word apostle means an, an envoy, a messenger. It's someone who delivers a message. But here in the New Testament, it takes on a, a special significance. It becomes kind of this this word that denotes an office, the apostolic office. It's a person who's been designated to be one of the authoritative voices that establishes Christ's church. Now notice what the passage also says. It says, Paul, an apostle, and then he says, not from men, the plural. Now, what, what does that mean? When he says, Paul, an apostle, not from men, he's saying it wasn't, it wasn't a group of people who gathered together and said, you know what, uh, Paul, you want to be an apostle? You guys, yeah, we all want you to be an apostle, Paul. Let's vote. All in favor, say aye, aye. Those opposed, nay. Okay, you're in. That's, that's not how this happened. It wasn't a council. It wasn't a church. It wasn't a group of churches. And, and Paul recognizes, and Paul's going to teach, churches have lots of authority. Did you know that? A, a church has authority. Bethany Community Church has been given authority by God. God has authorized Bethany Community Church, his local church, other local churches. He's authorized us with the authority of, of meeting together, worshiping. We have the authority by God to, to lay hands on people, set them aside for ministry. We have the authority to affirm 
the testimony of individuals. By God's grace, we have the ability for a person to come to us and say, look, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I've, I've been baptized in his name. Uh, I want to be associated with this church. And we as a church listen to that testimony and we say, yeah, we, we all agree. Your, your testimony is consistent with the gospel. We're affirming you as a witness to the world. And we have that authority as a church. Sadly, we also have the authority when a person walks away from the faith to say, you know what, as a church, under the authority of God, we can no longer affirm this person's testimony, and so we, we have that authority as well. Together, collectively, we have, a church has a lot of authority for God's glory. But a church doesn't have the authority to designate a person an apostle. And that's what Paul's saying. Look, it wasn't, I'm an apostle, not from men. It wasn't a bunch of churches gathering together to say, Paul, you're now an apostle. He says, nor, nor through man. It wasn't an individual. It wasn't John saying, hey, uh, you're, I'm, I, John, now designate you the Apostle Paul. It wasn't Peter who did that. It wasn't James, the Lord's brother, who does that. That's, no one has that authority. Who does have that authority? Well, this is also a, a message with a divine source. God has this authority. He says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me. So this message is from me, Paul. It's from the people who are with me right now. But more importantly, as an apostle of God, this is a messenger from from Jesus Christ who appointed me as an apostle and from God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. This message that you're hearing it has an authoritative voice. It has a, a truthful voice because God doesn't lie. And it's a powerful voice. The, the, the one who brought Jesus back from the dead and began our faith, he is the one who is delivering this message to you. This, this message has some weight. The true gospel message is a message from God. I've been listening to a podcast and it's uh, it's called Startup, and I had I had never really listened to it before. It's a podcast about businesses that are beginning, and so maybe some of you would find it interesting, and I'm, I'm sure I'd find some of the other episodes interesting. But what drew my attention to this podcast was the current season that I've begun listening to is about not a business per se, but a church, a church startup, and the uncomfortable part of the podcast that maybe I'll talk more about some other time is that so much of what the church does mirrors what a business would do as it starts up, and that's the point of this podcast. It's a secular podcast. They're very fair, I think, with how they interact with this church. But anyway, what's interesting to me in this podcast about the church is the the way that the church planting pastor and his wife minister and kind of some of the ways they view ministry. In my mind, they're very much a product of, of, their, of their age. They're probably a little bit younger than I am. And they're a brother and sister in Christ. I, I'm confident. Um, I, it's like just listen to them talk. I, I'm, I'm guessing we have some mutual friends, or at least we have some, some, we each have mutual friends who are friends with one another. I mean, there's, there's some sort of connection there. They're not that, we run into some of the same same circles. There's some overlap of the circles that we run in. I've, I don't think I've ever met them, but um, 
I believe they're brother and sister in Christ. But if the generation before me was kind of characterized by overconfidence, maybe sometimes uh, speaking authoritatively in areas beyond what Scripture did, I think that's fair to say that some churches struggled with that in the past. I think the, the generation of ministers that are coming up after me are those who are sometimes, uh, they, they lack confidence in things they should be confident in. There's, there's too much suspicion of authority and of being confident in God's word. In fact, listening to this podcast, the, the wife of the church planter in this episode, she said this. She says, when people think they've figured it out, they know exactly what God likes and doesn't like, and this is exactly what we need to do, that makes me very wary. Now, this is said in the context of an episode that's talking about hell and homosexuality and how men and women are to function in the church. In other words, some things that God has spoken very clearly about. And this person is saying, look, I, I don't want to be too confident the church planting pastor, he says these words in, in the podcast. He says, he's talking about scripture, and he says, I think I see the Bible for what it really is more now. And it's not an answer book that fell from heaven. It's kind of this complex, God-inspired, no doubt, but human product. In other words, he's saying, look, I think this is God's word, but it, I can't be confident of the, some of the answers that it gives. Now, of course, of course, we want to be careful not to, be, not to go beyond what scripture has written, but I think what those comments reflect is a suspicion toward authority that God doesn't call us to have. In other words, it's right to be humble. It's right to say, you know what, I don't know everything, but what it's not right to be humble in is in God's word and the things he's clearly revealed to us. 110 years ago, G.K. Chesterton identified this very thing. He says this, he has this great quote. He says, Modesty has settled upon the organ of conviction. In other words, modesty, being modest, moved from ambition to conviction, where it never was meant to be. Then he clarifies, A man was meant to be doubtful about himself, but undoubting about the truth. And this has been exactly reversed. Nowadays, the part of a man that a man does assert is exactly the part he ought not to assert himself. And the part he doubts is exactly the part he ought not to doubt, the divine reason. And I, I think that's true in much of evangelicalism. We live in kind of this postmodern, post-authority age, the age where we don't know what is true and what's not true. We don't even know what news sources we should be listening to. And so we just kind of say, well, I can't be confident of anything. And Paul is saying, look, here, here's a word from God. And brothers and sisters, our whole faith is dependent upon this idea of apostolic authority. Does, do, do Paul and the other apostles have divine authority to speak to us or not? Paul would say in Ephesians 2, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with, with, with the saints and members of the household of God. And he says this household of God, this church that you and I have identified ourselves with, he says it's, it's built upon something. It's built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. So here's Jesus Christ. He's the foundation of our faith, and yet he is ministered through the prophets in the Old Testament, the apostles in the, in the New, and on the basis of their authority, we have built our faith. This God-given authority that they have to communicate God's word to us. 
with Jesus Christ being the cornerstone upon which everything is built around. Now, there are two options for us. Either we say, you know what? I I don't believe that Paul and the other apostles have this divine authority. And so I, I don't need to be in submission to God's word and what's written here in Galatians and elsewhere. Or I say, I do believe that this is an authoritative word. And then I build my life on it. It affects my finances, my, my, my decisions in parenting, what, what, what I think about my relationships. It, it affects everything as I respond to the gospel, to the message of faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. That's the first thing we think about. Who is the gospel from? Well, it's from Paul and the people who are with him. All the brothers who are with me says, but it's also ultimately from God. And so it's authoritative. And unlike the false teachers, Paul's opponents who have a human word, Paul saying, look, I have a word from God, and you need to be in submission to it. Here's the second question. So that's who's the true gospel from. Who is the true gospel to? Or to whom is the true gospel written? If that makes you feel better. Who is the true gospel to? Well, he says, to the churches of Galatia. Well, what does that mean? Paul has written, Paul is writing here, not just to individuals, but to a community of faith. And we see in Scripture that God, in the New Testament especially, when he speaks, normatively is speaking to communities of faith. Normally it's not just an individual, but it's, it's a community of faith. In fact, let's, let's talk about these churches of Galatia. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, if you would. Acts chapter 13. Paul is not writing just to one guy or a guy and one woman or a couple of people. He's writing to, to, to churches, to a group of people who've identified themselves with Jesus Christ through baptism and have assembled together for the purpose of worship and witness. They're, they're people who've, look, I've believed in Jesus, I've been baptized in his name, and now I'm identified with a, a local group of people who are also identified with Jesus Christ. And we, we meet together and we worship God together and we take the Lord's Supper together on a regular basis and we proclaim our faith in Jesus Christ to the world around us. That's the, the people that Paul is writing to. How did he get in relationship with these churches in Galatia? Well, Acts chapter 13, I kind of referenced this already. He's in Antioch, and the church in Antioch is meeting at the beginning of chapter 13, and as they're worshiping, verse 2, worshiping the Lord, fasting, the Holy Spirit says, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and they sent them off. And this begins the first missionary journey. And as you go into the middle part of the chapter, verses 13, really verse 14, they arrive in the area of Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey, the, the southern part. And it mentions four cities that they travel into specifically. One is And the one that dominates chapter 13 is Antioch and Pisidia. And this is 
a different Antioch than the other Antioch they were in at the beginning of chapter 13. A little bit confusing. We'll talk more about this uh, in later weeks as we go through this chapter. <clears throat> as we go through chapter 1 of Galatians. But what you need to see here is that as Paul is traveling, he begins in chapter 13 by going to this, this Antioch in Pisidia and going to a synagogue. Because there is a Jewish presence here. And they don't respond, the, the Jews do not respond to the gospel. You come to the end of chapter 13. And it says that the the Jews see the crowds, uh, and they are filled with jealousy. This is verse 45. They begin to to, uh, contradict what's spoken by Paul. And Paul and Barnabas turn to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles hear about this in verse 48. They begin rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. So this is the beginning of of churches in the area of Galatia. And this is Antioch. They go to uh, Iconium. And this is, uh, again, they speak in a Jewish synagogue. They also go into the areas of uh, Lystra and Derbe. So these are kind of four cities that are mentioned in particular. The gospel message is spreading here. And uh, Paul, kind of he travels from west to east. And then he goes back from east to west, and then back down to where he began at uh, Syrian Antioch. So notice, though, as he, so he, he travels one way, and then as he travels back, it says at the end of chapter 14 that they were uh, strengthening the souls, this is verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And they appointed elders for them in every church. And then with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they believed. That's, that's the beginning of these churches in Galatia that we're reading about here in the book of Galatians, the epistle. This letter goes to, to those people in chapters 13 and 14 of Acts. You say, Daniel, uh, why is that significant? Why are we, you know, if you spend this much time on just a couple verses in at the end of chapter or at the end of verse two of chapter one, we are never going to get through the book of why. Is, why does this matter? Here are a couple reasons that I think it's so significant that Paul is writing to churches. Here's here's why I think it's significant. Number one. The local church is not incidental to God's plan to grow you in your faith. It's instrumental. The local church is not incidental to God's plan to grow you as a believer. It's, it's instrumental. In other words, we don't say, you know what, uh, I'm, I'm a Christian, and I'm going to kind of do Christian things to grow, and I'm going to pray that God grows me. And maybe sometimes that growth will occur while I'm part of a church. Maybe sometimes it'll occur just when I'm kind of separated from a church, and maybe I'll go to a, uh, you know, just go sit in the mountains on a Sunday instead, and God will grow me there, and then sometimes he'll grow me in a church. No, the local church, us coming together as an assembly, there's something special about that. And then as we go throughout the week and stay in community and are part of, you know, care groups is just 
one name to give what we're talking about here, relationships with other believers. It doesn't have to be in a care group. It can be some other way. But somehow we're connected to other believers through, through worshiping together on Sunday, and then we're connected throughout the week. We're doing life together in some significant ways. That's, that's instrumental. It's not incidental. It's instrumental to how we're going to grow in our walk with the Lord. You know, last week we went through the entire book of Galatians in one sitting, and I'll tell you, I, I had been through the book of Galatians many times, okay, trying to, trying to make sure I had a handle on it. I, I would kind of go through Galatians on a run out on a country road by myself. I made my children sit down and listen to it the Saturday before we went through it last Sunday. I asked the staff to all sit down and listen to all of Galatians together. Uh, sometimes that, that last week before Sunday, I would just start re- reciting it in our, our home as the children were getting ready in the morning so I could just be used to distractions, uh, kind of simulate the distractions that I thought might happen here. But uh, anyway, um, and it was always good. Like God's Word is always good, right? But I, I will tell you this, there was something special about going through God's Word on a Sunday morning with you that was replicated nowhere else. There's something special about the people of God gathering together as the people of God, as people have said, we're covenanting together to be the people of God as a local church. There's, there's something about that that cannot be replicated anywhere else. And you say, yeah, but the people at Bethany are petty, they're selfish, they're mean. Yeah, that's kind of the point. In our frailties, in our weaknesses, we are gathering together asking for God to deliver us through our, our faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, and deliver us in ways that we cannot deliver ourselves that's the message of the gospel. It's the true gospel. And it's a message that's delivered not to us as individuals, but it's delivered to us as a church. And so often as we read books like Galatians, we think, okay, this is just God speaking to me individually. No, this is God speaking to a church. This, the, the words that Paul gives to encourage us occur within the context of, of an assembled group of believers, of, a, of people who've gathered together and have committed together to worship God together and grow together. So it's significant. Why is it significant to the churches of Galatia? Because the the local church is not incidental, but instrumental to God's plan to grow you as a a Christian. It's also significant, significant because it's the local church that is to proclaim the gospel to others. As I engage in gospel ministry, I I don't just do it by myself. Now, I, I may have relationships with someone, and it's just kind of us getting together, and I'm proclaiming the gospel to them, or I'm, I'm going into a community, and I'm proclaiming the gospel in some neat ways. But even as I do that, what am I doing? I'm doing that as a, as a representative of Christ's church. I'm doing it through the empowering and the encouragement of the church and the people that I love, and I'm doing it with the goal of the church, because I want the people that I proclaim the gospel to to come into relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, and then I want them to become a part of God's assembled believers, of God's identified saints who've placed their faith in his son, Jesus. And then here's another thing of significance, why I think it's significant this is to the churches of Galatia. A third thing is this. The local church stands or falls on the basis of its adherence to the true gospel. 
the local church is going to either stand or fall on the basis of its adherence to the true gospel. Paul is writing to believers, and he's concerned. Later in the epistle, he's going to say, um, he's going to wonder whether or not uh, his labor was in vain. Was this all just worthless? In other words, it, a church isn't a good church just because it says we're a good church. In fact, a church isn't even a church just because it says it's a church. A church is a church if it faithfully holds to and proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, I, I say this with sorrow and, and with humility in the right places, but under the authority of God, in the evangelical world today, there are many, in the world today, there are many groups of people gathering together saying, we are Christians, we are the church, who are not adhering to the true gospel. And we say that because we want to caution ourselves not to abandon the true gospel. And we want to say, okay, I recognize that there's a danger of not following the true gospel. God, help me understand and follow after the true gospel. That's why I think it's so significant that this is to the church. Now, here's the last question. Here's the last question. What is the message of the true gospel? What's the message of the true gospel? That's going to to take the next six chapters to really answer fully. But even as Paul begins in this greeting, we begin to see some of the the characteristics, some things about this true message of the gospel. Let me me just give you six things just in these few verses, verses 3 and 5, kind of six things we see about the message of the true gospel. Number one, we see it's a message of grace and peace. Paul, as he would begin his letters, would begin them with the words grace to you and peace. And that's, that's kind of a, he's playing on an introduction to letters that would have been, a greeting that would have been common in this, this, this culture, but he's, he's using some Christianized words. It's, it's grace and peace. Now, it means that God is proclaiming relational restoration with people. Sometimes when we think of the gospel, we think, okay, the gospel is a message that says, you're here and let me help you get here. You know, you're, a, uh, you're at this level of life and the gospel message is going to help you just kind of get a, a little bit better or a lot better even. We think of the gospel as like a motivational talk or a, a TED talk or something like that. That's not what the gospel is. The gospel is a message of grace and peace to those who don't deserve grace and peace. The gospel message is a message from a a conquering king to the people who are his sworn enemies who have fought against him. It's a message saying, I am going to give peace to you instead of my wrath. The gospel message is a message proclaiming pardon to a person on death row. The gospel message is is a message of forgiveness of a debt that we could never repay. The gospel message is not just some sort of self-actualization method. Here's how you can become a better person. The gospel message is a message of grace and peace to those who need grace and peace. The other thing we see here about the gospel message, we see that the grace and peace have a divine origin. They come from God. 
So it's a message of grace and peace, and this grace and peace have a divine origin. He says, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. A third thing we see here, the grace and peace were purchased by Christ's death for us. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, what? Who gave himself for our sins. The gospel message is a message proclaiming Christ has purchased the grace and peace for you. Now why is that so significant? Because throughout the rest of the book of Galatians, Paul is going to be encouraging these people, look, I, I know you think you need to work to earn this, but there's nothing left to earn. There's no ritual to perform. There's no day to observe. There's no, uh, there's no ritualistic thing you have to observe because Christ has done everything you need already. The gospel message, a fourth thing here we, we see is that the grace and peace come as we're delivered from this, this present evil age. We're delivered from the present evil age. Uh, Wayne, in his prayers, he began this morning, talked about, uh, from, from the book of Colossians, about how we, we've been uh, rescued from the domain of darkness. And Paul understands there's this present age and an age to come. And this, this present age is an age, we don't even realize this sometimes, but it's an age we need to be rescued from. We need to be rescued from the, the thought patterns of this age and the loves of this world and those types of things. And Christ gave himself for our sins, for a purpose. And that purpose is to redeem us from the present evil age. A fifth thing here about the gospel, the grace and peace we experience come according to the will of our God and Father. Paul says, delivered us who, um, from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. So this, this message of, of promises that were given to Abraham was part of God's plan and now this giving of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins is, is part of the same plan. This is all part of God's will. And then the last thing about the gospel message that we see, even just in this introduction, is that all of this is to the glory of God, to whom he says, be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now that is a lot of gospel truth just in a couple of verses, right? Paul's setting the stage. I'm going to talk to you about the source of this gospel. I'm going to talk to you about the content of the gospel. I'm going to talk to you about the freedom of the gospel. All of this comes only through Jesus Christ. Only through faith in him. False gospels, brothers and sisters, false gospels disappoint us. They promise so much. They promise peace. And yet it's only in Jesus Christ. Only through the true gospel that we find the peace that we so desperately desire. As we go through the letter of Paul to the Galatians, may God in his grace help us grasp and hold to this true gospel. Let's pray. Father, we would ask by your mercy that you would cause us to live rightly before you and to live rightly not on the basis of our, our works or our efforts, but to live rightly before you by faith, trusting in your son Jesus and in him alone for the righteousness we need to be found acceptable before you. We thank you for your gospel. We thank you for your church. We thank you for the freedom we have through the name of your son, Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen.